Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter offer code CANADALAND at checkout. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Nothing happened. It's okay to say the name. I know. I know. I'm supposed to just ignore her. I tried. I tried ignoring her. She hasn't gone away. So I read her column, and I instantly regretted it. A recent column by Margaret Wente about radical disparity in wealth. She begins by listing off the main factors. Stagnant wages, creeping inflation, galloping house prices, the usual. But here's the twist. Those aren't the real problem. The real problem, writes Wente, is in the mirror. Not not her mirror. Your mirror. The real problem is you. My one piece of advice to kids starting out today, she writes, is live like I did in my 20s. The solution is in Margaret Wente's mirror. Don't eat out. Don't drive a car. Don't drink large macchiatos from the coffee shop. People spend far more on their kids than they have to. Well, that is some no-nonsense advice. Let's not blame the world for our problems. If the youth of Canada are buying houses later or having fewer kids, can't seem to make ends meet, it's probably our own damn fault. In typical fashion, this argument is not backed up by Wente with any kind of economic data. It's backed up by her own experience and her anecdotal experience. I know more than one high-achieving woman, she writes, who decided she needed a luxury condo and a closet full of designer clothes and Louboutins, is that how you say that, to reward herself for how hard she worked. Now, that anecdote scales. Clearly, that is a wide demographic trend. But don't worry, the story has a happy ending for Margaret Wente. Today, she concludes, my husband and I are better off than we ever dreamed we'd be. Well, that's a relief. Let's flip over to another recent piece, recent cover story at McLean's Magazine by Tamsin McMahon. Now, this snooze of an article actually bores us with economic data when describing the same phenomenon. And here is some of that data. The median net worth of Canadians under 34 is $25,000. But if you're over 65, it's $460,000. That is over 18 times as much wealth. And yet the government spends $45,000 per year on average on senior citizens and around 12000 on Canadians under 45. 
So what that means for many 34-year-olds is that though a senior citizen has 18 times as much money as you, your government is spending four times as much money with your tax dollars on that wealthy senior citizen as they are on you. And if you're thinking that's all health care, you're wrong. Health care accounts for about a quarter of that $45,000 spent on senior citizens every year. This is insane. It has nothing to do with macchiatos. And I'm going to talk about it today with Eric Swanson, the executive director of a campaign, a special interest group, a lobby group, I guess, called Generation Squeeze. You need to hear this. It's coming up in a minute. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now, and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. As mentioned, Squarespace is the sponsor of this episode of Canada Land. I encourage you to go play with Squarespace. You can start making your website without giving them your credit card, and you'll you'll, you'll get a sense of just how easy this thing is to use. What they've done is really powerful. I mean, there's been this whole movement around user experience in apps and in website design, where how people interact with the site is given as much consideration as what's on the website or what you can do with it. You know, it used to be that computers could do all these amazing things, but no consideration was given to how you get them to do those things. And you had to learn a lot of really arcane commands. And you essentially had to to know how to code a little bit to get computers to do anything really good. Of course, all of that's been ironed out when you use something like Twitter or you sign up for a Google product or Facebook. They've just made the whole experience frictionless. What Squarespace has done is apply that same philosophy to building a website, which was really something that lagged behind. I mean, until recently, it was still pretty damn difficult to build a powerful website. But on Squarespace, you can just pick a beautifully designed template, you personalize it, and then if you run into any problems, there is support 24-7 through live chat and email. Once you're done building your website and you want to put it online, the plan started 8 bucks a month. It includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year, and you get 10% off if you use the code CANADALAND at checkout. Squarespace, better websites for all. It is hilarious to me that you are doing Generation Squeeze, talking about this intergenerational economic disparity from this city. This is a crazy, wrinkly city. <laughs> I was out walking around this morning. I felt like I, I felt like like I hadn't even. I felt like an embryo. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely a lot of retirees in the city of Victoria. Yeah, the, uh, the nearly deads and newlyweds is how they used to refer to it. But it's getting younger. The eighteen to thirty-four cohort is the largest in Victoria right now, in Victoria proper, at least. I didn't see them downtown, but uh, I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure you saw a lot of tourists downtown. That's probably true, and yeah. I was one of them. You're kind of poorly situated right now. What are we going to do about the boomers? Do we have to kill them? What? What? Like it, this is a really dire situation. Well, the boomers are having a pretty good go of it. Generally, uh, the statistics show that 
their net worth is increasing largely as a result of the housing prices increasing. But the primary driver of wealth for the baby boomers is the primary source of debt for younger Canadians as we struggle to get into the housing market, as we deal with low wages and higher costs for things other than housing, you know, less time and a deteriorating environment overall compared to a generation ago. Wait, say that again. Our debt is their wealth? Yeah, essentially. You know, when younger Canadians struggle to get into the home uh, the home buying market, they're taking out big mortgages and they're transferring that wealth you know, to seniors and to baby boomers who, in some cases, are selling their homes. Sometimes it's not that direct a link, but overall, baby boomers' net worth is increasing largely due to the increasing housing prices of their homes. And, and younger Canadians' debt is increasing largely due to the skyrocketing cost of housing, which is you know, two to three times as high as it used to be in the 1970s in some markets like Vancouver and and uh, and Toronto, and 76 to, to 80 percent higher as an average overall over the last 30 years. I've kind of been approaching this like from a cultural point of view, old Canada versus new Canada in, in terms of media representation, but you guys really break it down uh, on an economic level. And it's stark, man. The net worth of Canadians 65 and over is $450,000 on average. People my age, 35 to 44, $182, $25,000 is the net worth if you're under 34. Yeah. And, okay, be that as it may, maybe that's fair and that's just about working throughout your life and, 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 and gaining wealth. But then you expose that the government is spending $45,000 a year on Canadians over 65 and 12000 12, on average on those of us under 45. That's right. Yeah. So – a senior citizen in this country is worth like more than double what a person my age is, is worth on average, and yet the government is spending almost four times as much money on them every year as they're spending on me. And they continue to increase budgets for seniors and retirees. And it's not particularly surprising why that might be happening, given voting trends. Uh, seniors are very likely to vote in elections, and younger Canadians aren't. There's definitely a lot of inertia uh, from the post-war years, we established really successful programs to reduce the level of poverty among seniors, CPP in, in the healthcare system, and old age security. Um, and that has done very well uh, to increase the quality of life and standard of living of Canada's older generations. But the, uh, the younger generations who are facing childcare costs equivalent to a university education or housing costs that are double or triple what they used to be in some markets, are facing a very different life <laughs> ahead of them. And some people are angry about that. Some people are resigned. Some people are making drastic lifestyle changes to adapt. But things do look very different, uh, both in the numbers and in, the terms of, uh, and in terms of how people are living their life. And, and to put it in human terms, it's, it used to be that there was an average five-year wait to save up for a down payment to buy a house, and now it's at 15 years. 15 in BC, 10 across Canada. So. Yeah, and, and that like reverberates like it's like, well, people have kids way you put off having a kid if uh, you haven't been, you know, if, if you're saving for a house, if you, like you put your life on hold, basically. Yeah, you make all of these extreme adaptations, and it's frustrating because, you know, a lot of the media and, and sometimes politicians will place... Uh, the blame on younger Canadians themselves um, and older generations, maybe your parents or grandparents. Well, you're not working hard enough or, you know, you, you took the wrong degree. You know, why, why did you take that degree? 
you're living in the wrong place. Um, you need to switch jobs. Um, you know, stop being so entitled, essentially. You know, that word entitled comes up again and again. But it misses the very real differences <laughs> between opportunities available to this generation and the last generation and the very real differences in costs uh, to do the standard things that one wants to do in life, such as buy a house or start a family. I've talked a bit before about how, like, specifically the Globe and Mail, they're just sort of obsessed with bashing younger people. I mean, just a, like a cursory look. I've done this before, but look at these headlines. Like, why can't we take Gen Y seriously inside the entitlement generation? If millennials want to lead, they need to stop jumping ship. A uh, nation of workers who only have loyalty to themselves, says the Globe and Mail. Like, it, it, it's actually like... It's bullying, you know? You're kind of picking on poor people at a certain point. <laughs> no, a little bit, right? And it's uh, uh, that's why a couple Gen Squeeze volunteers early on started a blog, because they were reading all of these traditional media sources and recognizing, wait, this, people are talking about us. They're pointing fingers at us. Very little media coverage, mainstream media coverage is you know, by us and for us and actually speaks to our real experiences and recognizes our real situations. I think that you're going to find a very comfortable uh, uh, reception of those messages of, oh, entitlement and, and, and the burden of young people if your audience is old people. And unfortunately, I think that that's the audience of every newspaper, certainly every daily newspaper in the country. I think that's the audience of every newscast in the country. So I'm sure they, they're worried, though. Maybe it's like voting, where if you don't vote early on, you're less likely to vote later. And so if they want their business models to survive, <laughs> they should probably start adapting how they cover and speak to younger generations. They should, but I think that they've given up the ghost. I think that, that think like, so, right? well, in the papers, I think that there was a, a time when they were like, well, well, obviously we need to replenish our readership with younger readers. But uh, I think that just the daily struggle for survival of, of maintaining the subscribers they do have and, and playing to that disappearing subscription base has superseded. I don't see from like extensive conversations with people in these organizations that like making a really driven hard play for younger eyeballs is the survival strategy of any of our legacy media. Hmm. Well, I think that'll be to their detriment, just like it'll be to the detriment of politicians who uh, continue to, you know, disengage from, you know, 18 to 34 year olds or 18 to 45 year olds. If you disengage, then you can't expect to have them buy your newspapers or consume your media or vote for your political party later. But of course, uh, to your earlier point, they would say, well, they're not voting anyhow. I mean, how much of this do we deserve? Because we're just so stupid. Yeah. And, and I mean, we, we have acted stupidly as a uh, as a demographic, as a uh, as a as a portion like we, we have resisted any kind of organization where we uh, affiliate along generational lines. And it's politically out of favor to actually talk about generational conflict. You know, Trudeau will talk about the middle class mm -hmm. and we're talking in code words because he can't s simply say what it is, which is. You know, There's a sharp divide between the situations of older Canadians and younger Canadians. It's, it's kind of increasingly old versus young. I mean, we, we have uh, you know interests that are kind of like diametrically opposed. But because young people don't have a voice box and don't vote... There's yeah. really like it, no, what's, totally. what's to be gained by playing to this uh, to this sector? Yeah, totally. It's a chicken and egg situation, right? And I think we're totally partially to blame, you know, as a generation. Obviously, democracy belongs to those who organize and show up. <laughs> so if we don't show up, uh, then we can't expect to get a lot out of it. And that's part of the goal of Generation Squeeze is to start uh, building an organization that can re-engage uh, some 18 to 45 year olds in formal politics. 
Yeah, you got an uphill battle. (laughs) It's going to be fun. You know, there are a lot of engaged younger Canadians. In fact, there have been studies that show younger Canadians are as, if not more, engaged than older Canadians. If you take into account non-political activities, so civic engagement overall, 18 to 34-year-olds are more engaged than older Canadians. It's just those formal political partisan activities that people are like, ah, that's, that's crap, that's not for me. Uh, this is childish. Um, so it's about reforming how politics works and then recognizing, you know what, politics is annoying, but it's important that we get involved. Otherwise, you're going to continue to get squeezed. You guys are kind of upfront with the, with the fact that you are modeling this after the Canadian Association for Retired People. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, acronymed uh, CARP. <laughs> it's an interesting fish. No, no, um, totally. But, but you, will, you, will, you, you can get senior citizens to join up en masse for a special interest group called CARP through which they will lobby for tax breaks. Successfully. And successfully. And even like carry around a card that gets them a discount. Oh, yeah. Sweet discounts. But you cannot that, – that is not going to work. I mean, you tell me. Like, I, there's something about that that feels – Modeled after, not the exact same as. Right. I mean, the idea is an organization to build the power of a certain demographic of Canadians. And, yeah. and how is it funded? Let me just ask. Right now, it's funded by traditional foundation grants. We're hosted by the University of British Columbia, so we remain a project of UBC. But we have national aspirations, and so we're looking to incorporate – as a nonprofit uh, across the country. Uh huh. And the idea is to have w- would people pay a membership? Yeah, they pay a membership due, probably, although we're exploring different models for that. And they would form teams with peers and they start working on issues related to the squeeze in their community. And they start engaging with municipal and provincial and federal politicians, kind of guided by our overall vision of a Canada that works for all generations, you know, not just one generation. And we have, uh, you know, a um, flagship policy, a new deal for families. We're going to expand that with new policies. And we want to, uh, we want to build up as much influence as CARP, uh, but it'll look very different because engaging you know, younger Canadians looks different than engaging older Canadians. I think part of your problem is going to be that young people don't even want to cop to being young people. Like I'm 37. I'm by no means young. And yet statistically by the figures you're using, I fall well exactly within yeah. the group that stands to benefit most. 18 to 45. And I'm a parent. So like, you know, there are things like childcare, like all the issues you guys are working on are like sit exactly in my personal interest. And you, you know, you'll never have any problem like convincing a 65 year old that you're like, yeah, I'm a senior citizen and I'm, I'm happy to stand up for tax breaks and privilege and discounts at the movies for me and my fellow senior citizens. But try getting a 22-year-old or a 37-year-old to proudly state, I am a member of a special interest group, young people in Canada who need stuff? Uh, well, I think they'd be happy to, hopefully. <laughs> I think they'll be happy to so long as they're getting something out of it. I think what you know, all we want in life as far as engagement is concerned is kind of the trifecta. We want to be able to make a difference in our own lives. We want to be making smart choices and doing things ourselves um, so that we're taking responsibility. We want to be working in our community, you know. Uh, getting together with peers and friends and, I don't know, building a community garden or, you know, planting some trees, something I can walk by every day and feel good about. And we want to be effective at the big picture, big ticket level, where we actually have some meaningful say over the major policies that govern our lives. And the organization we're setting up attempts to combine all three of those things into a package um, that I'm confident people will will find, you know, compelling and, and attractive. And with that, 
with that network of Canadians, I think we can be as powerful and as influential as CARP and as that generation. And when we wake up to that, we'll start seeing big change and Canada will start looking very different. You're right, though. The discounts, uh, like the, the benefits package we'll be putting together, we'll have to look <laughs> a bit different than the, you know, Hertz rental car, 15% off. Or like trips to Florida, yeah, fifteen percent off. Build an app for it. <laughs> the, the, the kids love apps. If you put it on That's an app, right. we must build an app. <laughs> There's Androids and stuff, right? I get like cringy when I'm like, "Am I Gen X? Am I Gen Y? Do I have to say?" No, I don't know. Like, I, ah. I don't even know what those mean. Honestly, yeah. like I'm working for an organization called Generation Squeeze. I don't even know exactly what the window is for Generation X, Y, Millennials because I don't think people really identify themselves that way. Yeah. Maybe baby boomers sort of identify themselves that way. Even oh, they love it. The, yeah. And they, they've been preaching the mythology of the baby boomers from day one. But yeah, like, working hard. We are a very diverse generation. Generation blank. Like everybody hates when that is even no, used. You know, and, we have different values and different life experiences. Yeah. But kind of the unifying theme is in some of the economic statistics where housing prices through the roof. I know, but getting people to identify, I mean, I, I guess when you, start, when you start searching problem. for a house, you, yes. th- then you start to figure it out. <laughs> or you know? when you're paying off student debt, right? Yeah, but there's a disconnect where I think when you find younger people, when they get politically engaged, they get engaged in like big picture things and they get engaged in social justice issues. It used to be that politics were about things that actually benefit you. You know, people used to get involved. They used to vote for the party that, like, if you were in a union that was going to be the most supportive of the union or if you were just looking for tax breaks, like, you're looking for policies that actually were going to benefit you, your family, in financial terms, and that's what dictated who you voted for. And it seems like that's kind of like no one wants to, like, take the bait and actually look at this from self It's, like, boring or or small-minded to engage with politics in that kind of direct way. Well, yeah. I, I don't think they're – yeah, you're right. Uh, we should be looking for the policies that benefit us. I think there's a, two problems there, though. The first is there aren't a bunch of policy proposals from the major political parties that would markedly improve the squeeze in younger Canadians, with the exception I, the NDP just announced a child care, uh, national child care plan. I haven't had a chance to look at that yet. But the other piece is the visionary piece. Younger Canadians are looking for visionary leadership, and there's data you know, showing that. Uh, the kind of retail politics that tends to appeal to older Canadians doesn't seem to work as well for younger Canadians. They're more about kind of the visionary leadership. Show me a compelling, positive vision for Canada. And I don't think we have seen that uh, recently. Yeah. There's other data that show that younger Canadians, and again, I'm generalizing here, I'm just 18 to 45-ish when I say that. Younger Canadians are engaged locally, you know, they'll get involved in their community and they'll get engaged globally. You know, they're interested in kind of those big online campaigns of Oz and, you know, global warming and big global threats. But there's this big gap (laughs) at the provincial and the federal level where, because probably due to partisan reasons and just the nature of that and the flavor of that on the palate, they don't want to engage. And so I want to try to bridge people back to that kind of activity. Yes, it's annoying. Yes, we can make it better. And yes, we can benefit. And what what do you want to do? Like, what are a few things that would be big progress in terms of what young people can organize and demand of government? Yeah, big ticket ones. For example, I'll talk about family policy. So you've got your childcare, you've got flex time at work. So making it uh, easier for employers or providing financial incentives for employers uh, to work you th- up to 35 hours a week and making it more costly to work you over 35 hours a week. Uh, so you're spending less time at work and more time at home. Expanded parental leave from 12 months to 18 months, months especially for dads, um, would be a big step forward. From, you know, for people who work for companies? Uh, well, no, expanded parental leave, there's uh, for, for people who work for companies. Uh, but also more universally accessible as well. 
uh, ideally. And so, you know, big ticket items like that. I'm thinking a lot about the environmental. But, but, but what I'm saying is, like, you, you know, you get mat leave if you've got a job, right? If you don't have, because you're not earning, because if you don't have a job, you're not earning. earning income. But if you're a freelancer, if you're a contractor, if you're a casual, then you, there's no mat leave. And, and that, we're seeing and that, more and, and more that, of that. And that applies to one generation, really. Yeah, and we're seeing more and more and more of that. If you were to make it so that there was like 18-month leave, uh, maternity or paternity, that would still only affect those lucky young people who actually have traditional jobs, right? That's right. That's right. And this whole uh, concept of kind of precarious work and the nature of employment changing from one generation to the next, as you just uh, articulately demonstrated there in one policy plank. Um, so what, so what can be done for those people who are kind of like like myself, part of this nomadic workforce, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe we can talk about uh, ways to facilitate, you know, individual contributions um, when you're not employed. You're kind of self-employed to pension plans. Maybe there's a way to do that. The, the point I, is, I don't, I don't think don't the ideas to... are lacking. Yeah. I don't think the ideas are lacking. It's the influence that's lacking. I think there are a lot of smart policy ideal uh, ideas, including policies that would benefit families and other life experiences under 45. The trouble is there hasn't been the political influence to get it done. Yeah. It's hard to enfranchise people who are so disenfranchised. I mean, you, you know, because there are these points at which you can further benefit them. You can further benefit them through their enfranchisement with companies. You can improve their lot within the workplace, but they have to have jobs first. So if you're dealing with people who are sort of so outside of all of these different uh, institutions in Canada, it's, it's kind of hard to do anything that, that'll reach them unless you get to kind of like the welfare state level. You well, know? you could get to tax policy and stuff, right? There's been a lot of talk about having a generationally fair tax system in Canada where yeah. there's a lot of loopholes for you know, particularly wealthy people. People, uh, people invested in you know the resource sector and mining flow-through shares and all of these arcane loopholes that can make you a lot of money in the tax system, but aren't really accessible to your freelancers or your self-employed people. So I think there's a lot of room in the tax system uh, to make it uh, easier uh, yeah. for that kind of worker to get by. And, and uh, you know the McLean's piece that you guys were featured prominently in talked about uh, property taxes and proposals to to uh, adjust property tax not as a reflection of the worth of your property but as a reflection of your income, yeah. which you think would benefit uh, older people because you'd think that they had less income in their retirement, but that's not the case. Not always the case, right? There are some pensioners uh, living on low fixed incomes, but they are a much smaller percentage than is popularly conceived. <laughs> and that is the popular concern. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. And I was shocked reading that article that even when you poll young people as to should we be giving all of this government help to old people, they said, yes, of course we should, because everybody kind of imagines exactly. some, some frail <laughs> old pensioner who would be kicked out uh, onto the curb if, if the government, you know, like, oh, what a cruel government to, to, to cut anything that's directed towards senior citizens. Yeah, nobody wants to hurt grandma or grandpa, yeah. right? Grandma um, and grandpa are, 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 like, sitting on all, like, they're the wealthiest generation in the history. The wealthiest history. generation in the history of Canada. I think in the history of the world, uh, I read somewhere, like, I mean, the boomers, anyhow, the, 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 there's a higher concentration of wealth and the amount of wealth. And in Canada, where it's such a, a risk-adverse financial environment, that money is not going into new enterprises. It's not going into, we don't have the same, like, vigorous start. No, that's the big question. What will happen with that money yeah. eventually? Where will it go? No, oh, they're gonna right, they're gonna be like King Tut. They're gonna <laughs> bury themselves. I swear to God, we're not getting it. <laughs> yeah, just give up, kids. You're not gonna get any of that. <laughs> Live in your half a bedroom condo. No, they're gonna fight death. They're gonna be 120 years old. They're gonna get so much plastic surgery and, and like it's, <laughs> we're we're done, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> 
uh, who knows what's going to happen with that wealth? And it is a generalization. Um, you know, not every senior is living large. Yeah. But the statistics show wealthiest generation ever, and the younger Canadians aren't seeing that same affluence, and they're struggling more and more and more uh, to get by. You guys have your work cut out for you, and, and I don't mean to pick on you because the choke points of getting the message out are a media that is by and for people who are in the age group that you're essentially trying to move resources away from, you know, like, how do you get your message out of the social media? You guys are under 2000 followers on Twitter at this point. You've got a, a really strong message and you've got like tangible things to offer. But I don't think that this message has taken the country by storm yet. No, yet. But we've been doing pretty well. We're two people at this point. And so small staff, we've, I think we calculated we have over $2 million worth of earned media in the traditional sources over the past couple of years. So there's a lot of interest. And like you were talking about earlier, we have to challenge that dominant narrative that the, of the frail senior um, and that seniors and retirees continue to deserve the same kind of spending priority that they've been seeing in provincial budget after provincial budget and federal budget after federal budget. And I think there is a lot of interest in, in that. Oh, that's not the story? We're interested. What is happening at the statistical level? And that has got that has achieved a lot of resonance. And now we just have to move to the point where we understand there's a new situation and we understand how we need to change it. And that means getting together and getting organized. And we certainly haven't taken Canada by storm there yet, but we're gonna. I think it needs to be a part of you know, there is such a, a cynicism towards party politics in Canada. And I think because politicians are locked into, I mean, you know, you can only play for votes for people who vote. And, uh, you know, even a Trudeau, who I think is, is sort of a, a liberal play down the middle, you know, and say something like the middle class and everybody can kind of think that that's them. But are we you can always project yourself onto the middle class? Yeah, everybody <laughs> thinks that they're middle class. Yeah, I'm in the middle, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> you know, rich people like to think that because they don't like to think of themselves as, as elitist. Being, and, uh, yeah, and and people who are actually lower class, working class people, you know, aspirationally think that they're middle class. But I mean, maybe we're lacking some kind of like uh, you know, you talk about visionary politics. Like there's got like some kind of net roots political figure who who is uh, you know running a very specific kind of a campaign and bringing a message that actually will bring people into the fold. Yeah. And maybe somebody like that will come along and maybe they'll reap massive rewards. Alternatively, maybe we'll slog up the long hill vote by vote, you know, forcing the traditional political parties and the traditional approach to respond. It's probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are a number of things where the idea of young people as being, you know, politically apathetic have been completely challenged. And I'm thinking of in the years I spent covering digital rights issues, issue after issue had hundreds of thousands of, uh, of supporters online. Yeah. People who have no political affiliation were outspoken in their support of net neutrality or, uh, you know, um, just copyright reform. Those are votes to be taken. No, exactly. Those are engaged people. And like I was saying earlier. Occupy yeah. is, is something where people st stood up. And I don't know more are things, you know, it got bundled into like, oh, it's just radical left stuff. And you know, But I wonder if, if those people aren't missing the boat in, in thinking that, you know, this is about the 1% versus the 99%. I mean, maybe the message just needs to be like, no, this is about young versus old. I don't care if you're left or right. This is this is about young people in Canada versus old people and, and, and where the resources are going to shift. Well, certainly we're not going to frame it that way. That could be a little controversial. <laughs> what we're looking for is a Canada that works for is, all generations. Well, there's an imbalance. 
so much. There's you know, an imbalance. There's an imbalance. It's not about. We got to fix the imbalance. If we're going to shift tax breaks and concessions to young people, it's going to come at the expense of those old people who've been accruing that stuff for years. It, and ide- well, ideally, it comes at the expense of those who can afford it, right? You know, that's where we start talking about things like the clawback threshold for OAS, where if you earn one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, you're still getting old age security or something like that. You know, those kinds of things can be clawed back and redistributed. Okay, I think safely. <laughs> Young Canada versus old Canada that can afford it. <laughs> uh, Canada that works for all. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Yeah, my pleasure. That is your Canada Land show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown, and the website is at canadalandshow.com. Check out our sponsor, Squarespace. The offer code, good for 10% off, is Canada Land. Next episode will be up on Monday. If you like this show, recommend it.